But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> um, yeah. So, not to shake you guys' faith in the world and in reality and in the things that you've come to, you know, have confidence in, but I have to tell you that I may have been wrong about something. What? Yeah, I know. I know. What? what? I know. How did, how, did, how did this happen? Well, I admit that it's an area in which I have some degree of temporary insanity. Um, and this is the subject of drones. Um, and so we've talked about drones a bit in the past few episodes. And I think it was when we were talking about the drone exhibits at um, the Sebring Fly-In, the Sebring uh, okay. Light Sport or okay. uh, Sport Sport Aviation Expo. And... And I might have said something along the lines of, do you really think that these people who are playing with the drones are candidates to become pilots? Um, and I've now heard from any number, <laughs> I've now heard from any number of listeners who said, well, you know what? I got started flying, you know, a, a private pilot and, and sport pilot and whatnot because I was an RC guy to start out with. Um, and so I guess I'm going to stand corrected here. Uh, a couple of notable cases were from the forums, our own Jeff Ward. Um, and I knew this. Why did I not remember this? I've known this. Is Jeff Ward is a longtime radio control aircraft guy um, who apparently it's one of the things that inspired him to go out and get a private pilot license. Um, Navion guy, of all people, serious, serious, um, um, you know, full scale, they call it sometimes pilot, um, flies fractional jets for a living, all right, um, was apparently an a radio control guy originally, and that's one of the things that got him got him inspired and started. And I heard from another some other people with the same kind of story. So, okay, maybe flying drones is one way to uh, get people into flying. Learning how to fly. Some 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 friends of mine have gone from line controls models yeah. to RCs to airplanes. I know pilots that have gone from licensed aircraft to radio control models to give them something to fly in the bad weather because they fly these little electrically powered foam models in uh, their hangar. You know, it's uh, yeah. it's all, all over the map. Yeah. So anyways, I stand corrected. Um, I, I, I stand corrected. I'm not going to make any ex- any ex- excuses or <laughs> Jane, you ignorant slut. <laughs> That's right, yes. The best thing to do... When you're in a hole, is stop digging. Yes, well, no. Yeah, that is the best thing to do. I'm seldom that smart. Uh, okay. Well, on <coughs> no, that no. note, welcome, <laughs> folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, uh, coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in beautiful Nottingham, New Hampshire. Uh, and uh, I'm home again here. I got back a few days back. and uh, Yay! Yeah, where I've been enjoying the cold weather and uh, uh, the, the uh, I don't even, I, I, keep, I keep finding myself wandering around outside up here. And, and, and this has happened for many years in a row where I'm suddenly, you know, I'll be walking, you know, down the road and I'll suddenly think to myself, I was in Florida. Why am I here? I was in Florida. Um, But uh, it's actually not too bad here. The snow's almost all melted away. And uh, and, uh, (laughs) snow, I've heard of that. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, it's right. not so bad. The snow's almost gone. It's not so bad. I still have. I still have one arm. It's not so bad. Uh, um, uh, it'll buff right out. Um, 
time. It's not so bad. I can still use a wheelchair. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, once upon Mon- a time. Monty, Monty Python and this search for the Holy Grail. I know, That's the right. guy with the arms. He kept That's losing right. his limbs. I can fight him. I'll beat him. I'll, I'll, yeah. um, I used to do this podcast with my two good friends, but now these two guys are here. And uh, no, no, that's not true. <laughs> we've, ga- we've ganged up on they him. Really yeah, have, they really have. They uh, really have. I went home to be uh, with my family, and no, that's not. Um, those two voices out there are my two good friends. Uh, one of them, let's see now. Jeb thinks that I favor Dave when I'm talking about the weather. I, I never well, this time of year, yeah. Coming to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, that's one of my two good <laughs> friends, Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I, I've been working on the bridge today, so uh-huh. I'm a little bit stiff and sore and tired. And if I not, if you hear any snoring over the over the, the, the audio link here this afternoon, that's why. That's because you've nodded off. Oh, the bridge over gatored waters. That's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. My, my gator video that I put on YouTube it's, it's been very, very popular. The two of them that I put up there. I, so. I, I call it the bridge of size. Yeah, the bridge of yeah. I'm not even sure if size is the bridge of groans is what it is. The bridge of groans. Yeah, uh, I know from but, firsthand uh, experience what you're talking about. It's uh, it's quite an exercise to uh, work on that you're bridge. Like, you're like, really? Do I have to get back down on my knees again today? Again? I know. Yeah. Again? Really. Uh, really? How's the tool count doing? Anything in the pond? No, no more tools in the pond. We've got the the, the last joist in. Um, we've treaded um, all but the last section. Uh, the only thing we have to do the last section is put spacers in it uh, nice. and, and yeah. tread it. Yeah. And um, and then we'll uh, be ready to finish the guardrails and done. Yes, very nice. Listeners, yeah. that's for my benefit. You don't need to care about that stuff. But I'm very curious and, and, uh, and uh, you know, congratulate him for making progress. But there's a, there's a new bird in the neighborhood, though, that yeah. has... <sighs> Okay. I think he's rather. I think he's rather incontinent. Oh, why is he crapping on your bridge? He's crapping on my bridge. Oh man! Well, I'm telling you, you know, I don't there know. There may be a. There may be a uh, military action, limited military action in my backyard about this bird. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. see now, but see, all right. Well, we're going to get mail now between me saying crap and you suggesting that you're going to do violence on the birds and. And then David's little rant. <laughs> We're going to get email. <laughs> We're going to get email. Uh, that's my other good Keep friend. Keep those cards and letters coming in, folks. I know. Uh, that's my <laughs> other good friend out there. It's coming to us from the uh, air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. That's David Higdon. Hi, David. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing spippy. Uh, you didn't get any snow there at all all winter long, right? Well, the week that I went to Indiana for Christmas... According to reports, I have no first-hand evidence. We got a not quite two inches of snow. It lasted about twelve hours. So I've got a fresh bag of ice melt that I bought back last fall. That I just moved back to the utility room because I don't think I'm going to need it this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's one of the big news stories about the winter. Is that is that Chicago, for the first time in recorded history, Chicago had no accumulated snow on the ground for all of January and February, which is so, you know. But climate change is a hoax. I know. I'm glad there's climate change isn't real because this could be making me nervous otherwise. Yeah, it would be too. <laughs> yeah. So, what's going on in aviation? We've, we've, enough people have canceled, have, have, uh, 
have unsubscribed by now. We should uh, we should talk about some aviation to not lose the rest of them. Um, David, flight following. I saw that poll that uh, that uh, was it. AOPA or Avweb, one of the one of the email newsletters had a poll about how often do you use flight following. Yeah, yeah it was the AOPA's uh, smart brief uh, on uh, March sixth. So that was like Monday of this week. Right. Since we're coming to you, we're recording this on the ninth. Uh, and the question was: When flying VFR other than locally, how often do you use flight following? Oh, I didn't catch the locally part. Okay, go ahead. What were the results? Well, we'll start at the beginning at that big number, 36.8%. And remember, this isn't scientific. This is only people who read it and think enough of the question to respond like I did. Mm -hmm. But 36.8% always use it. 35.3% frequently use it. 18.3% 18.3% seldom, and 9.5%, almost 10%, never use it. Yeah. And I'm like, why? It's one of the one, one of the neatest and most helpful uh, services that you can uh, that you can get from the FA, and it's a freebie, mm-hmm. and you don't have to be instrument rated, but it sure can be helpful when you're uh, on a cross country or maybe you're flying in close proximity to Bravo airspace or something like that to have that extra set of eyes and the, uh, the radar or it's soon to be ADSB feed to tell them where you are and what other traffic is doing. Another, way to, another way to look at this, too, is, is more than 70 percent of pilots responding to the survey use flight following regularly. Or- mm-hmm. Yeah. With some some regularity, I, I, yeah, yeah I, I, that's a good thing. That's a good number. But I, I'm I'm in David's almost thirty percent, almost thirty percent, either never do or seldom do, and they're like, I know a guy, I got a ride with him on a trip once, and was stuck with riding home with him because after riding with him on the trip up, I, I looked for our alternatives to go back. The guy did silly things like instead of contacting air traffic control to see if we could transit a Bravo, he reached over and turned the transponder off because, quote, unquote, we don't need the government tracking where I'm going. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm I, sorry, but what? Yeah, that's not that wouldn't be my choice either. Um, it, it's uh, why do the you suppose right. this Most is? people do use it. Why do you suppose this is? Why do you, why do 30 percent of the pilots in this unscientific survey um you know, seldom or never use it. Is it because they just don't think it's valuable? Or I have a th- hypothesis as to why they don't. Why I have don't. a hypothesis also, and uh, it, some of this. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff what's, yours? Yeah, this, what's yours? This this dovetails a little bit with um, uh, a letter I got earlier this week from a, a reader of Aviation Safety, asking for an article about how to use, how to obtain, how to use flight following. Uh, and he went into a lot of detail about questions he had. Um, and uh, I'm going to definitely follow up on this. I'm not going to. I'm not going to use his name. Um, but I'll, I'll just read a couple of things here. It says I need help with the ATC issue of understanding what is available to VFR pilots for radar separation by means of VFR flight following or radar advisories. I seem to have all manner of troubles with flight following. For example, he, he, some questions he's asking. How do you know at what altitude is necessary to get radar coverage? 
how do you find the appropriate center frequency? Um, when I have a when I when I'm flying under flight following, I'm going to have a squat code, but lose radio contact with ATC. How do I how do I reestablish it? Um, how can I maintain flight advisory service? Uh, how can I maintain flight following in areas where it's needed most? Large, uh, high traffic areas around large metropolitan areas, for example. Um, all, there's just a multitude of questions that this gentleman has raised, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm going to do my damnedest to answer them in an article for safety in the next few months, next couple of months. That, that's borderline distressing that uh, that an active pilot would be would have those questions. Well, it is on one level, um, and on another level, not so much. For one, I blame his instructor. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Isn't this? Yeah. Isn't it, I know there's no formal syllabus exactly for primary flight training, but there certainly are practical test standards and things uh-huh. like that. Is uh-huh. this stuff in there? I, I not not really. Uh, okay. Not in my now. You know, okay. So it's it's been a few decades since I went through private pilot training. Right. So someone who's gone through it more recently than me might have a different answer. Um, but it sure is, excuse me, it certainly was not um, part of my private pilot training when I got my private pilot. Oh, really? Okay. I, I, I will say that, yeah. you know, without any, without any uh, hesitation. What was the, just, uh, you don't need to name the airfield, but what, what was the size and kind of scope of the airport where you learned to fly? It was an uncontrolled field. Yeah, okay. This is my um, hypothesis, is that it's, you know, that it's some combination of intimidation and, and unfamiliarity, again, to the questions of your, well, your reader. See, I learned how to fly um, underneath, you know, one of the most complicated airspaces in the country, the between the San Francisco, well, now called it Bravo, and the San Jose charlie and the oakland charlie and i mean you just you had to know how to do this stuff and and so learning how to you know deal with the required contacts as well as the optional contacts was something i learned during my primary training sure sure um and it, because you just you know i mean it was just right there and uh, you had to it was almost a survival thing right i mean for, it, it just, just for the fact that i was flying out of a towered field made me have to have right. some level of of uh, of expertise here but you know you guys are reminding me of how fortunate it, it was for me to have a guy named Don Hicks as my primary instructor uh-huh. uh, because I learned to fly out of an uncontrolled field, uh, Augusta, Kansas, about 15 miles uh, east of Wichita. Uh, and we used uh, Wichita, then it was called Mid-Continent Airport, now it's Eisenhower, uh, a great deal for practice for me. because And we went to Kansas City. And used international for practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time I was uh, ready to do my dual cross country with Don, he was starting to introduce me to thing concepts like VFR flight following. Mm-hmm. So on my uh, dual and my solo, I used flight following the whole round trip. And it was an 1,100-mile round trip in one day. Dual on the way out to Colorado, solo on the way back, made the stops. The uh, if nothing else, having somebody to talk to periodically was kind of nice when you're droning along in an August turbulence over West Kansas, where the most interesting thing you can see on the ground is your shadow, and it's <laughs> going faster than you are. Uh, 
Wait, the shadows, going, the shadows going faster than you are? Yeah, yeah, because the sun was setting behind me. Ah, okay. Ah, all right. Okay. See, that uh, works. Yeah, no, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. Technically, you're right. But, all right, yeah. But you, you I, I think you guys are right. Uh, there's a lot of people that aren't comfortable calling up air traffic control. I know guys that aren't comfortable calling up flight service. Yeah. Uh, and then... There's a similar short uh, comings in the instrument training, too. They teach you approaches. They teach you holds. They teach you the navigation. But they never really teach you to use the system. You don't really get that education until you plunge in and start to use the system. And I had a different instructor uh, for that, and he basically stuck with the uh, what was in the, the practical test standard to, to get me ready for my check ride. Now it's Airman Certification Standards, ACS. But I think you guys are right. People are uncomfortable with it. They don't get taught uh, frequently about the benefits of it. Uh, that I would wager that there's a significant percentage of pilots out there that don't bother to do night training yeah. on the theory that ah, I'm probably never going to do that. Wait a minute, isn't night training required for the private? It is. Yeah, okay. It's not required but for sport. It, I mean, it's it, in it, fact it, prohibited for sport, but... Uh, but uh, well, yeah, um, let's... let's um, it, night training is required for the private, but that doesn't mean you have to keep it up. And that doesn't mean... And, and you also have to fly into a towered airport at one point, I believe, uh, for, for tower... I mean, for private training. Uh, again, that doesn't mean that... Uh, a, you keep it up, and B, it doesn't mean that your instructor walked you through the whole thing. Yeah, you just do the um, you can get away with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I grew up flying strictly out of a, a non-towered facility in you know, rural Georgia back in the 70s. And you know didn't really know from radar, didn't really know from um, flight following or anything like that. You you. You fly to you you within ten miles of a of a tower facility. You call them up, say, "Hey, I'm coming in. <laughs> Clear everybody out." <laughs> yeah, because yeah, most and, most of and, the questions know, that your letter writer asks are, are on the bloody VFR sectionals. Well, some of them are. Um, uh, you know, how high do you have to be? That's a good question. Um, you, you, the quick answer is you have to you you have to at least be high enough to hear the facility you want to talk to. Right. Yeah, and then that facility may or may not want you um, at a at a yet still higher altitude based on uh, what are unpublished uh, uh, minimum vectoring altitude maps right. that the that the facility maintains. Um. Again, they're unpublished, but I can tell you around here, uh, uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, 1,600 feet is is kind of the floor. Um, they can see you below that, but they're not going to clear you to do anything unless you're at least 1,600 feet. That's interesting. Uh, that's just the that's just the nature of the beast. Um, and coming in from the north. They want you at 2,700 because of that that freaking half mile high tower up there. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's a it's a very good question, and um, uh, we're not going to answer it all today. No, no. By the way, I, so I just want to observe something you just did. So you just kind of told us your experience with what these these altitudes are. Uh-huh. Uh, 
there, there's an old saying in golf, in the game of golf. Um, sometimes when you're playing golf, um, you can't see the green from the teeing space. Uh-huh. Right? It's called uh-huh. a blind hole. And uh-huh. there's a big thing among golfers who think blind holes are just bad. They're wrong. Okay. And there's one, I forget who it was, but there was a legendary golfer one time who said, the hole is only blind the first time you play it. All right. That's a good, that's a good point. All right. After yeah. that, you the second and third and on on so on. You know, you know where, where the green is. You know, understand it. It's only blind the first time. Okay, and it's kind of the same thing with this. All right, knowing what altitude to call in, or you have to call in, or able to call in, or whatever, is really only a problem the first couple times you do it. All right. Right. If you if you fly in a particular area on a regular basis, you will over time learn what the conventions are, what the requirements are, what the technical specs are, and so forth. And so. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and I, that golf I know, course I, probably has a map of all the holes yeah, too. Right. Yeah, well, you there's that too, Jeb. I'm you sorry, you got cut off there. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, you know, I know. I did not know all of this about 1,600 feet around here, or the 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 uh, uh, the tower up up north of here. I did not know any of this. I did not know their altitude. I don't. I haven't seen their uh, their MVA map. Um, but yes, I did pick all this up by you know flying around the area and, and getting the experience um i don't remember jack let's see you were the last time we flew in the dead we came back down from st pete i believe yeah uh and yes. and and um i don't remember specifically what the clearance was but i remember the initial clearance was at or below sixteen hundred, might have been. I don't require I, I something remember something the like that. I don't remember the altitudes. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And as I got closer to Hidden River, and and at the same time, of course, further away from um, the radar antenna and the radio antenna that ATC uses, um, they would they would say, "Well, okay." Um, I'm going to have to terminate radar service. You're getting below my coverage. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, wait a second. Maybe I can climb up uh, a little bit to stay in your coverage. And that can be negotiated. Mm-hmm. Your VFR, dude, you know, that can be negotiated. Mm-hmm. Um, the frequencies, um, some are published on, on visual charts. Um, some are not. Many are not. Let me put it that way. Uh, other other charts that you would want to find uh, this on uh, terminal charts, of course, but an instrument chart will have a center would have center, center frequencies on it. Um, all of that having been said, even the published center frequency sometimes for Miami doesn't work around here. Um, um, if I'm going east from here, for example, I quickly fly out of Tampa's airspace. Uh, and into Miami's, uh, Miami Center's airspace. And they've got, um, you know, a bunch more frequencies. I'm not convinced all of them are published. Invariably, I'll, if I'm just doing it, uh, making it up as I go, I'll, I'll invariably come up on the long frequency and, and be asked to check in on another one. Yeah, and that's, yeah, uh, right. And that's what I was going to point out is that, yeah. is that take your best shot based on a, on a careful, you know, look at the chart and then right. call in, and they'll tell you if they need you someplace else. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, anyways, um, um, yeah, we kind of ought to move on here. But I just so 
but the answer me this, and I'd like to hear both of your answers to this, um, is um, other than reading Jeb's article, which is going to be excellent, I'm sure. All right, what might a pilot listening here who feels rusty about this stuff? What might be the first step in terms of learning, becoming more familiar, more comfortable? Dave, go ahead. David, what should they do? Well, the first thing that pops into my mind would be to uh, get a local flight instructor mm-hmm. and go out and work with them and learn some of the peculiarities of the airspace and the area that you're in. Uh, another thing that would be really helpful is to buy a <clears throat> excuse me a low altitude instrument uh, uh, chart for where you live, because it's going to have frequencies that the VFR sectionals don't. And maybe even a book of approach plates for where you are, because it's going to have all those frequencies. And uh, get out with a flight instructor with those materials and start learning the peculiarities of the airspace you're in. Get comfortable calling towers, get comfortable using uh, flight flight service, flight watch, and uh, flight following. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jeb, what do you think? I, I like the instructor idea. Um, most people these days are using EFBs, and uh, they get instrument charts along with their visual charts uh, as part of the the price they pay, the subscription fee they pay. Um, another um, thing is um, a lot of people these days also are flying around airplanes with uh, databases in them, and you can you know tune. You know, you can tune nearest, and you can to, to get the nearest airport, and then you can scroll through the frequencies for that airport um, if it's big enough, and it, it may have an approach control or a center frequency uh, listed. And if you're doing it right, if you're living right, a couple of button pushes, and and that frequency is in your number one com ready to go. Um, so there there are those uh, tools. Again, there so a lot of these, uh, especially around Bravo airspace and on and on the terminal uh, VFR charts, a lot of these frequencies are published. Uh, I think fourth, uh, go out and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be intimidating because, first of all, it's called a controller, and he is going to control me, and I'm not. Yeah. I'm not really wanting to be controlled. Yeah. Put put that aside. They they should be called uh, I don't know directors or coaches or or or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, the whole yes, advisors. The whole controller thing is a whole. That's a whole other topic. We could waste another afternoon on. But suffice it to say that um, their chair is not moving at 120 knots. Yours is, mm-hmm. and you should be able to get some service from them. Yeah, you come up on a frequency and it's wall to wall, and everybody's doing something and in this kind of thing, and it's probably going to be hard to get a word in edgewise. Maybe uh, um, you're probably not going to get uh, your what the service you want the first time you call up. You might be asked to stand by. You might just simply be told, "Hey, sorry, dude, we're too busy right now. Uh, try back in ten minutes." Or which way you headed, and yeah, try try frequency X Y Z in 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 15 miles or something, uh, and uh, that's all that's all we can do for you right now, and you have to accept that because you are on a workload permitting basis. VFR flight following is not a priority service rendered by ATC. They have 
they do have other fish to fry. But but don't be intimidated by all that. It's just someone saying, no, I can't do this for you right now. Motor on down the road another few miles. Uh, try again on a different frequency. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. Oh, and so I guess this begs the question. Um, how often, other than on local flights, do each of you ask for flight following? I get it all the time. Yeah. If, I, if I'm not... You know, if I'm running back and forth, say, down to Amy's um, or over to Wachula for fuel or something like that, I'm not going to worry about it. But if I go west out of here towards Sarasota, um, generally, um, I, I just think another exception when I go to Venice. Uh, but generally, if I'm going anywhere near SRQ or anywhere east or north of here, um, as soon as I got, you know, 1,600 feet underneath me, I'm on the horn um, looking for looking for a squawk code and, and uh, uh, looking to get radar identified. Yeah, I, and David, I'm sorry, you you as well. Uh, if I'm going as far as Ponca City for breakfast, I get flight following. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Unless the conditions warrant filing IFR, then I file IFR. How long mm-hmm. a flight is it to what to uh, to uh, Ponca City? A, I forget. At at 135, 140 knots, 25 minutes. Okay. If if that. Yeah. yeah if right. that. Yeah. Uh, likewise, I and, and and if it's not obvious, I don't fly very much. But and and most of the flying I do do is very local, and so I don't do flight following in those cases. I just do a little sightseeing things. But yeah, if I'm going somewhere, uh, I will almost always ask um, and uh, try and get on in the system. It's, it helps more eyes, more people. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it's not only helpful to you. Uh, to get in the system, it's also helpful to ATC. Yeah, because they, they see a blip out there, they don't have any clue what that blip is doing. If it doesn't have mode C, they don't even know how high it is. They don't know what its intentions are. Mm-hmm. They don't know what type of airplane it is. Yada 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 yada. yada. So uh, uh, putting yourself in the system uh, helps ATC separate you from other airplanes and sometimes those other airplanes are larger faster carrying more people um and uh um are are already in the system so uh, it's helpful to everybody to do this do not be intimidated uh if you uh can't find an instructor uh to help you out with it locally Send me a message on the forums, and we'll figure something out. Absolutely. I'll, wor- I'll work with you via remote control or something. One, one last quick tip. Yeah. Before you go out and start doing this, pilots, practice your <clears throat> best ATP voice on the radio. That's right. That's right. Because the more competent you sound, the more serious you sound, the more likely they'll That's a, That's you. a very good point. Um if you if your for initial call up to to of an approach control or a center facility, hey y'all, I'm out here near Podunk. <laughs> I'd like I'd like to get uh, what what you call flight following. I've heard that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're you not gonna you're not gonna get much other than uh, gee, dude, sorry, we're too busy. Um, and there are other things that you can do to screw this up. You can ask too many questions you can not answer atc when they call you to tell you about the the traffic at 12 o'clock and five miles um 
you know, things like that. You, you, this is you, you, this is a transaction. You have a responsibility. So does ATC. Part of your responsibility is to know what you're doing and to listen. Um, <clears throat> but um, and be prepared to fill in some information yeah. on your very first key of the mic. Well, well the first thing you got to do. This is the way I teach. I tell people. So you got to get their attention. You, you got to you know a Tampa approach. Uh, uh, November one, two, three, four, five. November 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, Tampa approach. Go ahead. Uh, Tampa, November 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 is just off Venice, um, VFR to um, uh, Barstow, uh, requesting flight following at 4,500. We're Cessna 172. Yeah. That gives him, it gives him everything he needs to know. He needs to know your aircraft type. He needs to know where you are. He needs to know where you're going. He needs to know how high you're going. And he or she. And with that information, within 30 seconds, he's going to come back. November 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, radar contact. Uh, advise uh, any change in altitude. Um, thank you. And we're orders to that effect. Um, so you motor off to your destination. You look out the win- left window. You look out the right window. You sit there, not fat, dumb, unhappy. Uh, because someone's watching over you, but be, you, you continue to keep your eyes peeled because that's what you do. Because not everyone is 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 as smart as you are and as as insightful and and uh, 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 whatnot to get flight following. So there's still you know some yahoos out there without it. As you get closer to your destination, you want to descend. You don't have to ask permission. Your VFR, okay. Um, Tampa approach, uh, um, November 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, uh, is initiating or is in a VFR descent uh, from 4,500 to 1,500. Uh, and all Tampa needs to, uh, nine times out of ten, Tampa is going to say, thank you very much mm-hmm. yeah. uh, for letting us know. I think um, that. Don't, don't call Tampa and say, uh, can I descend? Because it's not, your VFR is not their purview um, to tell you, to clear you to descend. They can say VFR descent approved or something like that, which is not the same thing as clearance. Right. Uh, Before we move on, let me just say that if you want more examples of uh, good radio procedure, go back and listen to uh, UCAP episode 400, um, Alpha and Bravo. Oh, you're very kind. And try and sound just like Jeb did there because Jeb's radio procedure, in my view, is pretty awesome. Um, And having said that, I think we should move on here. What else here? Uh, we are, believe it or not, especially since we've got a lot of shout-outs here, I'm going to skip ahead and say, uh, Jeb, your new hero? Really? What's this all about? My new hero. This guy apparently... He, is this the story about the guy who had an off-field landing and then kind of left the airplane parked in the field and went yeah. off to his meeting or yeah. something like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, Missouri, okay, the, head, so, the headline here in the Kansas City Star is... Missouri pilot never considered himself missing yes. <laughs> after crashing near Kansas. So, let me tell you. You're un- right, dude. You know. Yeah, I know. Right. Go for it. Let me tell you an unrelated, related story. Okay. So my dad, in the last few years of his life, was uh, was limited to a wheelchair, and um, he loved to go for boat rides here at Lookout Point. And so we would bring him from wherever it was he was living at the time, either either at the condo or, or in, in the last you know months at the uh, 
nursing home and we would bring him here to Lookout Point and we would and we had this whole thing because normally it's hard to get in and out of the, the, the we have a pontoon boat a party boat um, and so we had this whole thing we built ramps and we had everything set so that we could basically wheel dad's wheelchair out onto the dock and then we would help dad we would you know, a couple of us would grab him by the arm and we would help him kind of stumble into the boat where he would sit and down and enjoy the boat ride and we would do this and we'd done it a few times before i realized that what we were doing was we were leaving the wheelchair sitting on the edge of the dock facing the water empty an empty wheelchair sitting on the dock and i'm thinking that could look a little bit like <laughs> someone could get a little nervous like what has happened here has the poor soul in this wheelchair fallen into the lake and so we went out of our way after that to, to kind of stow the wheelchair so that it didn't look like somebody had fallen out of it um and that's what made me think of this story, or that's what I thought of when I heard this story about the guy who landed his airplane in the field and then just disappeared. All right. So what did he do? He he went off to his meeting. Jeb, you still there? Um, yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm you fell there. asleep. You no, really did, did not, fall I did asleep. Not fall, I did not fall asleep. I was getting ahead of myself. Um, he, uh, um, by the time, I'll read the first couple of graphs here. So, by the time emergency personnel arrived at the site of a Kansas plane crash this week, the uninjured pilot already had A, cleaned out his personal belongings from the airplane, <laughs> B, walked to a nearby bank, C, attended a business meeting, D, called federal aviation and transportation officials, E, caught a ride out of town. Okay. You go, guy. Um, so he's what you well, call and, a self-starter, right? He's like an independent. That, exa- exactly. And I would probably suggest that maybe the uh, the time, the emergency personnel who are arriving at this maybe want to shake a little bit better stick uh, uh, when, when they get the call. Because if, if this guy can do all of this before you all show up, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, come on. But... Um, um, First of all, let's all remember our private pilot or even our, our sport pilot training folks. Who do we call when we have an when there's an event that damages an airplane and it meets the definition of an accident? Who do we call? NTSB. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, where do, where does it say we have to call the FAA? Nowhere. Nowhere. Thank you. And and by the way, if you land out, if you land in a field, there's no damage. Do you even have to call NTSB? No. Yeah. Okay. So everybody needs to calm down here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, where's this guy? Is his name there, or do we? Do we even yes, want to his give... name's Randy Shannon. There you go. Okay. Randy Shannon. Uh, he is a Drexel, Missouri businessman and rancher. Um. Um. He didn't report the incident. Incident, he says which is a whole different uh, definition, did not report the incident to local authorities because he had not damaged anyone's property and had not been injured. Well, okay. Great, great explanation for me. Shame on him, really. If if you're driving down the road and you, I don't know, lose control and slide off the road uh, into a field, what are you going to do? Uh, you're gonna call. You're gonna call nine one one. Say I just have a traffic accident. Is anyone hurt? No. Where's the car? Well, it's it's just you know t- about ten feet off the road. Uh, um, what the hey? Well, they, they did not not to start a debate here, but from the photos <clears throat> from the photo I saw of that mall, 
that's what the guy was flying was a maw. Uh, he he needed to make a call the NTSB because I think the amount of damage done to the aircraft exceeded the threshold okay. for it be, to be an incident. I, yeah, I, if that's the case, I agree with you. Yes, I I, I thought he just landed out, but. Uh... Yeah, but uh, it wouldn't have – while he was walking someplace, he could have gotten on a cell phone and said, you know, and I looked up where Roxbury, Kansas is. And it's close enough to I-135 that I'm pretty sure there's cell service there. He could have called uh, the uh, local authorities and say, hey, look, if you come across a crumpled airplane <laughs> in the field here. Don't panic. No, no, no worries. The pilot's okay. He's walking into town. He'll r- make a full report to the NTSB at his earliest opportunity and at least eliminate the mystery of somebody coming along later and going, oh, my God, what happened here? But it was, uh, you know, the, the, the cowling was crushed. It looked like the motor mount was halfway broken off. Uh, Is there a picture of this? Because I don't, I don't see one on this article. There's not one in this article. I saw one uh, on another site uh, the day after this happened. Okay, okay. And uh, there's a description of the damage in the article that you're citing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. That wing hit the ground first, which sent the plane cartwheeling into a field. The plane stopped in an upright position with a crumpled engine compartment, two damaged wings, and a torn off propeller. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry, but that, that is over the threshold yes. for an yeah. incident. Yeah, okay. No, that's definitely not landing out. I didn't realize that part. But uh, and, and that's problematic because one of the things that helps us try to improve our safety is knowing that accidents happen. <laughs> So that they can go into the database. Now, it is true. It looks like the only damage you might have done to uh, uh, anything other than the airplane was maybe a little bit to the fence that he clipped uh, and, you know, torn up some sod in that pasture. Uh, It's not like he landed on a roof like some of the other accidents we've uh, heard about recently. But uh, the the non-injury aspect of it is unrelated uh, in, in this case because the damage to the airplane is over the threshold. If somebody's injured and goes to the hospital, that's automatically reportable. Right. right. If somebody dies, that's automatically reportable. Uh-huh. But, you know, like goofy guy like me that does a gear up landing that doesn't do anything more than uh, scrape the bottom of the airplane, uh, according to estimates, was not over the threshold and was uh, considered an incident. A well, non-reportable what's the, what's incident the, what's at this that. Thresh, what's this threshold of which you speak? I think the specs are a percentage of damage or 25,000 or something like that. I, I knew that better back when I did the gear up landing. Well, let's, let's see what NTSB Part 830 has to say. Let's see. Part 831. Definitions. Aircraft accident means an occurrence associated with the operation of an aircraft which takes place between the time any person boards the aircraft with the intention of flight and all such persons have disembarked, in which any person suffers death or serious injury, or in which the aircraft receives substantial damage. Okay? So, death or serious injury, or substantial damage. So, let's go back to substantial damage. 
substantial damage means damage or failure, which adversely affects the structural strength, performance, or flight characteristics of the aircraft, and which would normally require major repair or replacement of the affected component. Engine failure or damage limited to an engine if only one engine fails or is damaged, bent fairings or cowling, dented skin, small punctured holes in the skin or fabric, ground damage to rotor or propeller blades, and damage to landing gear, wheels, flaps, tires, engine accessories, brakes, and wingtips are not considered substantial damage. This guy, uh, I, I did find while we're talking, a um, um, picture of, of the airplane damage. And yeah, that's, gonna, that's not going to buff out. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, um, the flip side of which is, um, I don't know if, yeah, it's, I would consider it major repair. Someone else might not because... It uh, kind of depends on what the logbook entry is going to be to get this bird back in the air. Um, um, recovered wings. Um, repaired wingtips and recovered wings. Uh, installed new engine and new engine mount. Uh, installed new landing gear. Um, yeah, it's probably reportable. Okay. All right. Shoutouts. I've got a couple here that I want to do, and I'm, while I'm doing those, I'm going to let you guys fight over the others, or not, as the case may be. Um, let's see now. The first shout-out, it's not really a shout-out. This is just sort of a bit of a podcast uh, administration. Um, so, um, first of all, big, big thank you, as always, to those of you out there who have chosen to support us on Patreon, on the uh, the uh, online service Patreon, and uh, make a, a donation of some sort uh, for uh, each episode that we produce. It's really great. It really helps us a lot. Um, helps us pay the hosting bills and other expenses involved with doing the podcast. And we really, really appreciate that. And we especially appreciate uh, the handful of, of listeners who have uh, made a, a, a pledge uh, uh, at $3 or more per episode, because that means that you get into the reward level and get access to the uh, after show podcast, the exclusive uh, uh, sort of much more casual and, and sometimes, <laughs> I don't know how to characterize it, it's better sometimes than others, let's put it that way, um, episode that we do every time we do one of these episodes. But here's the thing I wanted to mention. Um, that there are six patrons who ha- who are eligible for the after show podcast all right but don't get notified any longer because they didn't select to receive the reward in patreon patreon has a little checkbox all right and and although i and for a while i was I was manually making sure everybody got the notification, but I eventually wanted to start abiding by this checkbox on the theory that maybe some people just didn't want to get notified, and that's fine. Um, but it kind of bugs me that there's six of you out there who who ought to be getting all this goodness of the After Show uh, podcast and aren't. And so I just want to make sure you know, I'm not going to bother you with emails anymore. I'm just going to bother you here occasionally and say, um, if you pledge over $3 or more and don't get the After Show notifications, you might want to go into Patreon and check the box. That's all I'm saying. All right. So, uh, but one way or the other, huge thank you for supporting the podcast through Patreon. Um, it's, it's really cool and it helps us yeah. a lot. Yeah. 
Yes. The other shout-out I have here um, is to my friend Drew. And I don't think I talked about this on the podcast yet. I may have spoken to a couple, to you guys about this offline, all right? And, that, and, and so if it's familiar to you, I apologize. But let me tell you about my friend Drew. So my friend Drew is, uh, is a, an AV guy. He runs an, an audiovisual company, does all the big projection stuff and screens and stuff at various uh, conferences and trade shows and whatnot. And we occasionally work together and occasionally cross paths in the day job where I'm um, putting on events and whatnot. Um, and, uh, Drew's a good guy and we hang out and we go drink beers together. All right. Um, and, uh, but that's sort of been the, the extent of our, of our, uh, our, our acquaintance a couple months ago. Uh, he, uh, got in touch with me and said, Jack, guess what I did. All right. And I said, what? He says, I bought an airplane. I bought a one, a Cessna 172. And I said, cool. I said, Oh, Oh, Drew, but I didn't know that you were a pilot. And he says, I'm not. <laughs> he bought an airplane. So apparently, this has always been a bucket list for him. That's the way he characterizes it. It's always been a bucket list thing for him. He wants to learn how to fly, all right? But it never kind of all came together. And then a friend of his owned this 172, all right? And 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 it was, he was the friend his friend was using the 172 less and less and less and drew apparently at some point kind of just casually said you know if you ever decide to get rid of this airplane call me all right and so one day the friend called drew and said i'm going to sell this airplane you want it and drew said yes and so he did all the things you have to do and and you know and basically ended up owning the airplane and and he called me because first of all he wanted to crow and second of all he wanted some advice on on you know cfis and the process and whatnot and i helped him out as best i could and uh and I know I've talked to him a handful of times since then, and I know he's flighted, started his flight training and, uh, and, and is just having a great time with his airplane. He's just really, really thrilled by the whole, the whole situation and the whole process. And the reason I mention it today is that I, I was talking to him about, it was either last night or, or two nights ago, um, I got a phone call from Drew, and he gets on the phone, and he says, Jack, Jack, he says, I landed all by myself, he said. Right? And it's like so cute. He's like, apparently this was the first landing where he knew that his instructor was not helping you know because it was it was that landing where you go you know weren't you weren't you helping didn't you touch the controls and the instructor goes nope you did that all by yourself and he was thrilled drew was thrilled so uh just a shout out to my friend drew who uh who who bought an airplane without having a pilot's license which is something we've been we've been been encouraging people to do for years and is now in the midst of his private pilot training and uh, is just just thrilled to uh, to be a, a new member of the of the gang um, he hopes to be able to use the 172 for business travel he flies all over the country um, uh, to do shows and whatnot and he certainly wants to be able to he lives out in the west coast he wants to be able to use it to if nothing else to fly between his home and in, in the on the west coast near la and uh, and las vegas and san francisco and those kinds of things and uh, rightly he realizes that that's going to be a much better solution than driving or flying the airlines so shout out oh yeah shout out to drew i i know he's been listening to a few of our episodes i'm not sure if he'll hear this or not but uh but uh well if you're listening drew congrats that's that's how i got on a path to my license and bought a cherokee yeah and it was isn't it wonderful not having to worry about whether your airplane's available for training to, to schedule for training. Yeah. For sure your airplane, is. it's always available. Very very cool. Very very cool. It really Congratulations, is cool. To Drew. What else? Any other shout, uh, shout outs for you, or are we done? Well, I think a couple of these might deserve, particularly the recreational aviation foundation trail thing yeah that's a cool thing what do you, tell me about that tell us about that well according to the website 
they are having a uh, series of events on what they call the RAF Trail, uh, starting this weekend in March uh, and running through uh, the 1st of October at airports in Florida, Georgia, Florida again, Georgia again, Indiana, Michigan, Arkansas, Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania. There's a map on the website. Uh, it's open to the public, no registration. Just check the itinerary, check the uh, data on the uh, airfield, and uh, bring your camping gear and come on in. Cool. Yeah, and and is there some sort of, is this just, exclusively, you know, bragging rights? Is this just something to motivate people to fly? Or is there, do you get a certificate if you attend these? Or is it, I didn't quite follow the whole story here. Uh, well, I don't see anything about... Because I've always thought, yeah. I've always thought that general aviation, or, or our kind of general aviation, flying, um, um, you know, propeller aircraft, um, needs something like the way gliders work, right? Because gliders have this whole, there's some sort of national organization that awards basically achievements, um, pins and, and whatnot for accomplishing certain milestones or reaching certain goals or, or, or things like that. All right. And I, it always occurred to me that that would be a great way to grow, um, flight hours among, among yeah, talking about diamond badges, exactly and such. that kind of thing. Right. You know, and, uh, and so, you know, what the RIF is doing here uh, is, uh, is seems like a, a step in that direction. Um, well, the PD, PDF with the map says the RAF is proud to announce its inaugural RAF Trail 2017, our way to showcase special places, including many on which the RAF has had an impact. These RAF events are open to the public. They have no registration fee. Each is hosted by the state's RAF liaison. Each destination offers unique recreational aspects, special activities, and a small memento of appreciation from your host, the RAF. Yeah. There you go. So there you go. That's yeah, a nice program. RAF. What's their website? Is it there? Can you tell? Is it just RAF dot org or net or? Uh, where'd it go? The RAF trail here. I've got it too. Here it's 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 the RAF dot org. It's T H E R A F. Dot org RAF standing for Recreational Aviation Foundation, a great organization in general, by the way. They've done a lot of work around the country to uh, uh, defend and, and improve um, backwoods uh, um, uh, air, uh, airports, runways. Um, and, yeah, wilderness strips. Uh, yeah. Um, not only improving the uh, facilities at these strips, but also uh, dealing with various legal issues to make sure that they continue to be available to people. So RF is a, is a great organization. Um, and this- oh, our friend Amy Laboda, it's, I believe, if she's not still, she was uh, on the board of directors for a while oh, really? and active with them. Yeah. yeah, but it's a great organization. And uh, yeah, T H E R A F dot O R G is their website. So check that out. Other shoutouts? Anybody? Jeb, you still there? You fell asleep. Yeah. Okay. No, no. All right. Not snoring yet. Not snoring yet. Okay. All right, then. Well, I think we're going to stick a fork in this one here. Um, I want to thank you guys for uh, getting together and giving me a hard time about the snow, but uh, oh, well. Uh, it's going <laughs> to be spring here soon enough, and then I'll be very, very happy person. Um, so uh, anyways, um, 
the uh, uh, appreciate uh, you spending some time. Uh, Dave Higdon is uh, out there. Dave is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Anything fun? Uh, got a piece that's uh, in this March 2000, 2017 uh, avionics news about the. Uh, well, the the headline is the problem with problems with portables. And it talks about the uh, limitations on portable devices that uh, many pilots use in flight, uh, legal limitations, uh, performance limitations, uh, and, and their uh, impact on uh, on our flying. And that's in the March Avionics News. Doing my regular weekly business aviation blog for uh, have Buyer Magazine when it comes out tomorrow. Uh, takes a look at some of the uh, claims that uh, don't add up about the uh, uh, idea of privatizing air traffic control uh, and uh, examines just how much progress NextGen has made since the program got started, well, I don't know, a dozen years ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, from performance-based navigation to 3,500 uh, LPV approaches to uh, more precise air traffic control, increased airport capacity that's allowed the airlines to not only have better on-time performance, but increase their uh, scheduling uh, and not to to be uh, ignored. Uh, There are very nice profits out of that. So uh, there was a suggestion by somebody in a high office that the uh, uh, FAA was using the wrong equipment on and if you look into it, the uh, airlines uh, are as far behind on equipping for ADSB as uh, the business jet community, uh, and that's partly because of uh, the need to have systems developed and approved so they can be installed. So maybe it's not the FAA that's using the wrong equipment. Yeah. <laughs> Where can people, J- uh, David, find uh, uh, these things on the Internet and other things that you're working on? Well, AEA.net for avionics news, uh, avbuyer.com for uh, Avbuyer magazine and my weekly blog, uh, and uh, most of the other stuff I'm doing doesn't really have a uh, byline. So mm-hmm. You're we'll pretty present on, on Twitter these days. I'm trying to be a little more engaged, yeah. And what's your what's And that's your... Real, Hig- Real Higdon on the Twitter machine. As Jeb would put it, and uh, you can always uh, reach me through my Av Buyer uh, email. Okay, awesome. And Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on, other than bridges? Uh, other than bridges, uh, just put to bed the April issue of Aviation Safety. Uh, looking forward to that. To, uh, looking forward to that being on the streets. Um, and beyond that, I haven't really done a whole lot of anything. Um, look for me in some upcoming issues, probably June issue of uh, uh, Aircraft Electronics um, Association's uh, uh, Avionics News Magazine. Um, their uh, annual meeting is coming up next week, at which I'll be attending. Mm-hmm. Um, i got to get back in the groove for uh, GA News, and, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, 
um, who knows where I'll pop up. Yeah, yeah. Now, going back a month, uh, the March issue of Aviation Safety Magazine had a yes. really cool picture on the cover. It was a really, 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 really cool picture. Some, I know. Some, yeah, some guy took that as I was taken off uh, uh, and uh, uh, made it available to me. Hmm. Uh, who could that have been? His name was... Uh, John, no, Jack, Jack, Jack that's Jack. his name, yeah. Thank you, I was flattered that you wanted to use my picture on the cover. No, absolutely, very, very cool. it, was, it was a great, great pick and a great, uh, uh, great opportunity. Yeah, as did, and, and David will know, as a, as a photographer, David will know, Dumbluck had played a lot, big part in catching that shot. It was just like, whoo, you zoomed on by, and I snapped the butt picture just at the right moment. But actually, it was a, a video frame, gra- frame grab, but nevertheless. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah, thank you for putting it on the cover. It was very cool, and uh, I've got it here, and I don't know if I'm exactly going to frame it, but I'm going to save it for sure. That's very, very neat. Very, very neat. Cool. We're, well, uh, well, Jeff, we, we're, can, we, can, we can do, you know, it's, it's all electronic now, so I can blow it up, make it as big as you want it. Ooh, yeah. Um, 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 there, there was a service I came across. Send them an image; they'll do it in oil on a canvas. You know. Yeah, I know. I'm familiar with it. Yeah, get it etched in metal, and you know. That's yeah. Kind of oh yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see how that goes. But anyways, um, where can people find you and all this stuff on the internet? Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, AEA.net, uh, GeneralAviationNews.com. Uh, on the Twitter machine, it's Burnside J. Very very cool. Thank you. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, I uh, continue to be working on Volume 3 of the Around the Field collection. It's kind of stalled a little bit, but I'll get back to that eventually. The thing I'm spending a lot of my uh, spare time, if you will, um, on these days is my uh, YouTube channel and uh, some videos I'm putting there. Um, the, the, uh, the the Champ video that we did that frame grab from was a video that was on there a while back. Um, and uh, since the last episode, um, I've added a couple of new videos uh, um, first of all, there's two gator videos, alligator videos, uh, from when we were working on the bridge while I was out there, and uh, they're getting a lot of popular, a lot of uh, a lot of hits. Uh, people checking out the gators. I, I don't know if people really appreciate who haven't been hanging out in Florida that these gators are just there in the backyard lakes. I guess you call them. Um, <laughs> this is a thing, folks. Whether it's a pond, or don't a don't make me come up there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the Gator videos are getting a lot of hits, and uh, more to the point of this podcast, I just posted a, a video on my YouTube channel that is some highlights from the uh, the uh, Sebring U.S. Sport Aviation Expo back in January, um, and it's just a, a, a handful of images that I captured video-wise while while we were there, and put them all together into a, into a, a, a short video and uh, with some captions, and and you might want to take a look at that. Um, that's on my YouTube channel. You can find all these things on the internet. The YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Jack Hodgson. You can sign up for my email newsletter at uh, jackhodgson.com. You can follow me on Twitter where it's uh, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. And in general, learn more about me than you ever really wanted to know at jackhodgson.com. Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for all his help with the show notes and in the forums. Uh, forums continue to pick up. There's more and more conversation going on in the forums these days. And uh, if you have never been there or haven't been there in a while, you might want to give it a look. Uh, big thanks to Mike Morgan and to Roy Searle and Jim Goldman and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. They're very, very cool. 
Please support UCAP by making a repeating per-episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. You can get all the details about that at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. And while you're at it, go into iTunes and give us a review, check some stars, give us some thumbs up. It really, really does help get the word out about what we're doing. You can follow us on Twitter. The podcast itself has a Twitter uh, handle. It's twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's uh, one, all one word, class, the letter G, and airspace. And you never know what might turn up in there. You can also listen to UCAP in the free section of the Sporties Pilot Shop mobile app Takeoff, along with other podcasts and special Sporties content. Get your UCAP hats, shirts, and other cool gear at the UCAP Swag Shop. That's it. Un- Charlotte! <laughs> that Charlotte, Charlotte need to go out. Either that or Dave's got a really bad cough. I don't know. Um, the Uncontrolled Air- Airspace uh, Swag Shop, uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. Uh, don't forget, you can check out the rest of the UCAP website. Ten years, a ten and a half years worth of UCAP show notes and episode downloads. And last but not least, chat with us in the forums uh, at uh, Uncontrolled Airspace. All of this is at uncontrolledairspace.com. Charlotte, were you going to say something to Oh, David, were you going to say something to us? Woof. Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, key to long life is aviation because you know time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan so long and that's enough talking let's go flying if you rub my belly i try to scratch my ear 